I am very grateful to be with you this evening at the Bhakti Center in the East Village of New York, New York. Sometimes when you start getting older and you travel a lot, you don't know where you are. <laughs> so I, I said that to remind myself. <laughs> but in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna speaks about the unity of life within the vast diversity. Krishna tells Bhumira Bona Lovayu Kamano Buddha Evacha Ahankara Ityame Bina Prakitirashtita. Aparayamitashtvanyam prakritim vidimeparam jiva bhuta mahabaho yeyetam dharyate jagat. How the Supreme Being expands. Krishna says, I expand myself into this material existence, into eight primary elements the earth. Fire, water, air, and space. And then on a subtle level, because these are all things that we can experience with our senses. And how each one of these particular elements when appreciated and respected properly can bring such benefits. But at the same time, when they come out of balance, each element could be so destructive. We have a a hospital, a charitable hospital in Mumbai. It's called Bhaktivedanta Hospital. So we have a lot of very direct experience. Some years ago, I was just laying in my room. It was about 3.30 in the morning, something like that. I don't have a bed, I just sleep on a straw mat. So I was just sleeping on my little straw mat and suddenly I was, I just woke up, I was just about to stand up and everything started trembling. And when things tremble that hard, you, at least me, I got nauseous, I got really dizzy, 
and books started falling off the shelf. And at that time, we now our orphanage is at Govardhan Eco Village, but at that time it was at our temple and our ashram, and the children were screaming out, Krishna, Krishna, Krishna. And I was thinking, they don't do that every morning. <laughs> 3.30. It's Krishna, Krishna. I heard all these things falling. And I understood it was an earthquake. When we took rest the night before, we just assumed everything will just be like normal. But just a couple hundred kilometers away, in a village, Latur, in Maharashtra. In that amount of time, where the earth shook, they were at the epicenter, and I believe between approximately 30,000 people died. And so many were injured. So Bhaktivedanta Hospital goes there and sees. There was a lot of orthopedic um, help that was needed. But more than anything else, you know, was, we were, you know, we and so many other places were coming to the injuries. But far deeper form of suffering was emotional. You know, you can fix broken arms and legs, and to some extent backs, but when your children are dead, your parents are dead, you've lost your home, and no one in those villages have insurance. <laughs> they lost everything. And the thing that they appreciated most, more than all the medical care even, was just giving them the understandings from Bhagavad Gita about the nature, the eternal nature of the soul. Najayate mriyate vakadachit nahanyate hanyamane sarire. And how even in the most um, difficult times in this short little span of space where we're in this body, we could always find eternal shelter if we turn to God, to the Supreme Being, who we call Krishna. And kirtan is a way of calling to that Supreme Being for shelter. So they appreciated these people. There were Hindus and Muslims and Christians and Jains and Sikhs and agnostics and some, before the earthquake, they were atheists. <laughs> but when everyone came together with real sympathy and concern for each other, empathizing for the loss of the others because everyone had lost. And the doctors there, they were so empathetic because because they're compassionate people. And you, know, you can heal the minds through 
good philosophy, encouraging words, hopeful demeanor, can heal the body to some extent through medical practices, whatever it may be, but to bring people closer to their souls, to be, bring people closer to their own spirits and to the spirits of their loved ones. It comes when we simultaneously come closer to, to the Supreme. And kirtan has that effect. And they would come every day and just chant. People of all religions, of no religions, from all brackets of society, they would just come and chant because they were unified in a, in a higher energy. But that's just when the earth just shakes. I think it lasted about 30 seconds, the earthquake. And it did such destruction. It leveled a whole town and so many things around it. See those sirens? Sirens are usually not going off because of festivities in New York. They're usually going off because of serious crisis. People are trying to help others. And then a few years later in Kilari, a town in Gujarat, the same thing happened, an earthquake. As far as fire, many of those sirens are fire engines. Earth is so nice when it's balanced. It grows food, it looks so picturesque, but when it shakes, what power it has, what power she has. And fire keeps us warm in the winter. If not for fire here in New York City, I think everyone would not survive. We need heat. We cook with fire. Actually, all of our, all of our electronics are coming from fire. You know, the sun is giving so much energy and, and through the sun's energy and wood and the sun's energy and so many other places, it becomes electricity. In our tradition, when people get married, we, have, we light a sacred fire. So fire is so nice, it's, this light is fire. But if just one tiny match, a flame, no bigger than a little, an infant baby's little finger. If we don't tend to it properly, it becomes a fire. When I was young, because I was born in Chicago, and I remember my father and mother would take me to the water tower in downtown Chicago. 
and they would tell me this is the only building in this whole area that survived the great fire of Chicago. And the legend, some people say it's debatable, but I like to believe it. Because <laughs> I believed it all my life, so I might as well keep it. Nobody has ever proved anything different. But have any of you heard of Mrs. O'Leary? Please raise your hand. Yes, you probably heard of it because I told a story before. <laughs> Most of my stories are reruns. But, <laughs> but it doesn't matter. Have, ultimately, everything's a rerun. <laughs> But somehow we're still running, <laughs> and we're rerunning. <laughs> but anyways, Mrs. O'Leary lived in a little. She lived in Chicago, but in those days it was. She had a little barn, and she had a bar, cow, and she had a lantern, and she forgot to leave that little lantern with the little flame on, just that high. It was giving light, and somehow the cow kicked the lantern. Fire. It burnt down the entire city of Chicago. Began to spig in a lantern. The power of fire. You know, the bombs that they're building is inducing fire. And as far as water, Bhaktivedan Hospital was called to the state of Tamil Nadu when there was a massive tsunami. How many people it killed? How many towns and villages it completely destroyed? Water. Water so nice. We bathe in it. We drink it. Whatever drinks we drink, it's the substance is water. It's just kind of um, manipulated in different ways to have different effects on us. But it's water. We can't live without water. It's so pleasing. We go to the beach, we go swimming. But when water goes out of control, floods, as far as air, the wind, on a hot day, it's so refreshing. But when it's a cyclone or a typhoon or a hurricane, which I think are all the same, according to where they come, such devastation. It's just air. And space. <laughs> so the power of these material elements and how each and every one of us is completely depending on these elements for survival at every moment. And Krishna tells these are all divine energy emanating from the Supreme Source. To respect the power and to be grateful for all the benefits for all the gifts. And the subtle energies are 
even more powerful. The mind, the intelligence, and the ego. But the Atma, the soul, is beyond all of these. The living force within each and every one of us. That force, that person that's experiencing life through our senses. The eyes don't see. I see through the eye. And I hear through the ear. Like that. The eternal soul is mamaivam so jiva loke, is a part of the supreme soul. And by its nature, it's full of happiness. By nature, It loves, divine love. And forgetful of that love, forgetfulness of that love is the root cause of all suffering. Because we're trying to find that pleasure in so many ways, through so many people, and through so many things and experiences. But because it's not in connection with the nature of the soul, it's limited and it's very temporary. Therefore, dukalaya mashashvatam. Therefore, frustration. And in that frustration of disconnection from our own soul, what do people do to each other? In order for there to be peace, there must be harmony. There must be unity. There must be the ability to appreciate the unity that we have with all of our diversities. Not only among various humans from different races and different religions and different nationalities and different um, social positions, but unity within life itself, among the animals, and the birds, and the insects, and the plants, and the fish. Because life is sacred. When we disconnect from the sacredness of our own life, we cannot recognize how it's sacred in others. But it's very difficult to reconnect to that sacredness in our own life because we're so much programmed for such a long time to try to find our happiness outside of ourselves. And Krishna tells in Bhagavad Gita, Machchita madgita prana bodhiyanta parasparam katiyantaschamam nityam tushanti charamanticha. That when we enlighten one another, when we have community, when we have society that enlightens one another, 
by bringing out the good in each other. By helping us all to connect to this higher power of grace and love. Then we could actually, through the people around us, it connects us with the love and the peace within us. Because we are very much affected by our environment. A little child in home is very much dependent on the mother and the father and their love. And if there's agitation at home, the child is processes and becomes very, very deeply affected by that agitation. And there's love and compassion and unity very much affected by that. And in that sense, we never grow up. We just intellectualize things. We become more defensive. We become more wary of who to trust and who not to trust. But for spiritual progress, community is very important. But community doesn't just mean belonging. It means where individuals are sincere to value serving giving, to receive the kindness of others, but we can't really receive and, and recognize what we're receiving unless we're giving. Seva means to serve without ulterior motives, to serve with sincerity to enlighten one another, to illuminate one another. And each one of us goes through problems and has shortcomings. And it's so easy to blame people. Sometimes we have to due to severe situations. But in a community, we're there for each other, to uplift each other. But that's not easy, because in the world we live, there are just so many reasons to fight and disagree. And 99.9% .9 of all those reasons are completely superficial and useless. But because of the emptiness of our own inner satisfaction, we th they appear to be so enormous and overcoming and significant. There's a beautiful verse, Mahajano yena gathasabandha, which means we can understand teachings with our intellect, They really go into our heart 
when we hear of how others are living by these principles. And we try to follow in the footsteps of great souls. And some great souls are avatars and they're saints. And if we try to imitate them, one of these sirens might come for us. <laughs> but to imbibe the spirit that they're teaching through their example, then we want to try to give that example to others in our very small way. The, the lives of great personalities who, have, who are living with us today and who have lived in the past are like a compass that give us direction. And especially when there's difficult times. If you're in the middle of the night on a ship in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean and there's a massive storm, you look at your compass and you try to adjust everything so you can go in the right direction, otherwise you're lost. So Sunday, I was at Radha Govinda Temple in Brooklyn, New York. Wonderful temple. Tutagopi Devi is, was born and raised in that temple, practically. so we can understand. There's a common saying, you can judge a tree by its fruit. So she is such a divine fruit. <laughs> please, please take it properly, what I'm saying. She's, a, she's just so filled with the juice of compassion and love and joy, sometimes. <laughs> and even, if, even at the times when it isn't, she gives it. That's her greatness. But it was Mother's Day. So somehow or other, I got enthusiastic and I said I was going to speak about Janava Devi on Tuesday. And because I said that in front of the deities, I have to do it. <laughs> um, it's, it's a very deep story that takes hours to even begin, but I'm going to just say a few things. She is a manifestation of the Hladini Shakti of the divine feminine power of God, the energy of God. And that power is the power of compassion, that power of forgiveness, and that power of love. 
and she appeared in this world as just a loving lady and a loving mother. She was, she was born in a holy place. We still go there. It, it's in Bengal. It's called Ambika Kalna. How many have been there? There's a wonderful tree there. And there's so many wonderful. But uh, it's a beautiful place. Simple little village, even today. But she was born there. Her father was Suryadas Sarakala, who happened to be like a treasurer for the government. And mother was Bhadravati. And she grew up just like a, just a wonderful little child, helpless little baby, crawling around, learning to walk. And everybody just loved her because she had such natural respect for every being and compassion for every being. She had such natural love in her heart. And later, she was mar she married with Nityananda Prabhu, who is Balaram in the Leela of Krishna. And Nityananda Prabhu was especially empowered to show compassion on the highest spiritual level to the people who were in the most need. Really people who were so disconnected, the most disconnected people from their own hearts, he would reconnect people who were murderers, thieves, dacoits, people who were just hopeless, depressed, people who were completely addicted to alcohol and drugs and just completely out of touch with their families and themselves and everything. He would especially try to find those people. And by his compassion, by his mercy, he would, he would give them God's names and give them such compassion that they would be restored and they would become saints. It was incredible. And Janavi, also known as Ishwari, his wife. She was just the same. She had the same powers, the same compassion, the same love. And after Lord Chaitanya disappeared from the world and Nityananda disappeared from the world, the entire Vaishnava devotee community in all the lands and all the provinces 
they all accepted Janavi as the senior most um, guru in their hearts. And even the greatest renunciates, sannyasis, babajis, pundits, they would all come before her and humble themselves and put their head on her feet and beg for her blessings. And she was so simple, so humble, but had such power of compassion. So some of the, after some years after Lord Chaitanya and Lord Nityananda disappeared from the world, almost all of their associates had disappeared. And Narottam Das Thakur, Srinivas Acharya, and Shamananda. They were from very, very different backgrounds. But they were all classmates in Vrindavan of Jiva Goswami. They all had different gurus too. But the higher principle of God's grace, which was shared by all of their leaders, was so deeply embraced in their hearts that they became the very, very, very best friends. There's a verse in Bhagavatam that when we're hearing and chanting about the glories of the Supreme together with sincerity, then envy and jealousy disappears. Just like when the sun is shining, darkness disappears. And in the world today, so much envy and so much jealousy. And if it's not manifest, it's potential. Like a little flame that's ready to burn us burn our hearts and our minds and it burns other people. But they were such loving persons and they had such deep relations with each other. And eventually they all went in different directions. And they came together, especially for the purpose of trying to bring all the associates of Lord Chaitanya and Lord Nityananda who were still living to the same place to celebrate Lord Chaitanya's appearance. It was the first festival to celebrate Lord Chaitanya's birthday, Gaur Purnima, the full moon night of the month of Palgun. And Narottam Das Thakur, I was, he had a vision. The vision was Lord Chaitanya appeared to him and said, I'm living in a silo filled with poison snakes. Go there and come and get me. So. Narottam Das Thakur, he just came back to his native place where his cousin brother was like the ruler of that place and he just wanted to offer everything for the well-being, spiritual well-being of all the citizens. And so Narottam was asking, do you know 
is there any silos, granaries that's filled with snakes? And everybody said the same thing. Yes, Vipradas. It's very famous. So he went to the place and he met Vipradas. He said, do you have a silo filled with poison snakes? He said, yes. He said, I put all my best grains in there, but all these snakes came in and now I can't go in. And I got snake charmers, and I got, what do they call today? You know, you have trucks that are exterminators. <laughs> he got snake exterminators. He got everything. He said, but no matter what anybody did, they just hiss louder and louder and louder, and they become more of them. So I just closed it and wrote it off as a loss. Nobody could go there. And now Rotam said, where is it? It's over there. He said, I'm, I'm going. Every, the whole town was trying to stop Narotam. Don't go, don't go, you will die. Nobody goes there. And Narotam smiled. He says, don't worry, I have some service. To, I have some service in that silo. So he just opened the door and as soon as he opened the door, all the snakes, hundreds and hundreds of cobras and vipers and Russell vipers and <laughs> king cobras and all these snakes started, because Bengal has a lot of snakes. India's kind of a lot of snakes. <laughs> so they all came slithering out, slithering out, and they went into the forest, and he just went inside, and he came out with beautiful deity of Lord Chaitanya. Golden form. I've gone to see that form. He's actually made of pure gold. He's about this big. I have a photo of him too. I got to hold him. <laughs> but anyways, this is like about 450 years ago. So, <clears throat> he came out and then he decided to make little temple and install this and five other sets of deities of Radha Krishna and Gaur Purnima. So when the three of them, Srinivas, Narottam and, and um, Shamananda were together, they loved each other so much. And they loved everyone so much. They wanted to have this festival for everyone's happiness. And at that time, Srinivas Acharya's wife, he was a married man, and Narottam Das was a renunciate. But they were best of friends. There was no one is better than another. They loved each other. They appreciated each other. Something we could all learn to do if we just decide that's important and make it a priority. And Srinivasacharya's wife I think her name was him I don't but she's she said to Srinivas that you should your favorite most disciple Ramchandra Kaviraj you should put in the care of Narottam Das Thakur. 
Ramchandra Kaviraj was such a scholar and such a devotee and such a wonderful, wonderful, spiritual, enlightened person. And Srinivas, his, his best follower, his best student who was doing the most help for him, he said, please help Narottam. And from that point on, Narottam and Ramchandra, they became the best friends of anybody in the world. And when they decide to have this festival, Srinivas personally handwrote invitations for each person he was inviting. And in those days, there was not a postal service. There was no social media or email. He handwrote personal, and it was all in poetry. He composed a wonderful poem for each person he was inviting. And he had about 15 people and sent them to go village to village to village and personally hand deliver them with gifts. Not just the invitation, but invitation and gifts. But the first person they wanted to invite was Janavi, Janavadevi. Because if she came, everything would be blessed. So when she got the invitation, she was so happy. It's like everyone was her children. Biologically, she had no children. But she saw every living being in the world as like a mother to a child. She had that compassion. And when she got the invitation, she had a vision of Lord Chaitanya. Lord Chaitanya revealed to her that because of the love between all these devotees with each other, when they sing kirtan, I am going to appear personally with all my associates. Now they've been gone from the world for years. But she smiled. And she immediately started walking. There were no trains, planes, cars, or buses in those days. It was walking. She began to walk. And she'd go from village to village. And wherever she'd go, other people would come and join her to go to the festival in Ketari on the banks of the Padma River. She came to Navadweep and came to the house of Srivas Thakur. And Srivas had already left, but Sripati and Sri Nidhi, his brothers, were there, and they welcomed her in. And the sons of Adoita from Shantipur came, and they all came with large groups of devotees and townspeople. And in this way, she was just stopping town, town, village, village, and more and more until hundreds and hundreds of people were in her, just walking with her. And when they came to the Padma River, Santosh Dutt, the brother of Narottam, he organized a very giant boat, several of them, to bring everyone across the river, because it's a very wide river. And when they arrived, each person was given so much gifts, and each person was personally given a particular 
type of residence that was very pleasing to them. And, and among Narottam and Srinivas and Shamananda, their students, they all, each was assigned to personally take care of each of the guests. And Janavi Devi, with great enthusiasm, she arrived. And everyone just wanted to honor her and respect her. And she just wanted to cook for everyone. She wasn't so much concerned with being honored and respected. She just wanted to serve everyone because she loved everyone. Love To love means to serve. And when someone cooks with that much love, do you know what it tastes like? Prasad's going to be served in a few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so I can't go into too many details. But there was the, when it was time to, to install the various temples, Srinivas and all the devotees first came to Janava and begged for her blessings. And then they went to all the senior devotees who were so filled with compassion and asked for their blessings. And then they began. And after all the ceremonies were complete, then they had kirtan. And Narottam Das was about to sing. And Janava Devi, with the love of her heart, she stared continuously at Narottam Das Thakur and infused him with her love, with her compassion, with her Shakti. And Narottam began to sing. And because he was infused by Mother Janava's love, his kirtan was so sweet. It totally melted everyone's hearts. And Raghunandan, who was a very great saint and a, a personal associate of Lord Chaitanya, he was going to each cartel, each little symbol and each drum and putting garlands and sandalwood pulp. He was honoring the instruments. Then he went to each of the kirtan people, each of the people in the temple like you, and he was putting a garland on everyone and putting sandalwood on everyone because when it's hot, sandalwood is very nice. He was older, he was in a, the highest possible spiritual position, and like Janava, he just loved to honor others and serve. These were the leaders. And as Narottam was singing, and Janava was gazing at him, he was singing with so much love and devotion, and everyone was so united. This is the principle 
we want to emphasize this evening. Everyone was so united in this higher experience of singing together. But they weren't just singing. They were really trying to They were singing for the pleasure of God. But they understood the secret. What gives pleasure to God is when God's children are united. When we're showing love and respect and affection for each other. When we're really trying to be well-wishers of each other. Trying to uplift each other. And that was their spirit. So yes, there are so many reasons to be arrogant and try to prove ourselves and try to fight. And, but it's also so childish. Because it undoes anything we're trying to achieve spiritually. but there will never be a shortage of justifications and excuses because that's the way the world is. If, if we're waiting for things to be right, to unite, it's never going to happen because everything's always going to be wrong and we have to make it right. <laughs> That's the way the world is. When you're in a river that's flowing downstream and you want to go upstream, it doesn't happen automatically. <laughs> you have to swim <laughs> against the current. So the current of this age of Kali in this world today is the quarrel and hypocrisy. This is how we show our love. My beloved Guru Srila Prabhupada, when he was just about to leave this world, one of his last wishes was, you can show your love for me by how you cooperate with each other. And cooperation is not just um, having a truce. It means really trying to help each other. That's a spiritual family, when the family is trying to help each other. Family that prays together stays together. Father, family that dances together, advances together. <laughs> Family that sings together, clings together. <laughs> uh, 
I'll end there. <laughs> but family doesn't just mean biological, it means from a spiritual perspective, we're all family, aham bija Whatever religion, we should understand we're all coming from the same source. We're family. So real cooperation is to really try to be there, to bring the good out in each other. And that, more than anything else, brings the good out of ourselves. But unless we cultivate ourselves and bring the good out in ourselves, we can't bring out the good in others. So it's very interrelated. Trying to reconnect with ourselves through our own sadhana, through our own spiritual practice, and at the same time, that doesn't really have an effect unless whatever little we get, we share with others to bring others up. And then that inspires our own inner growth. So all these devotees were singing and dancing together in such a unified, loving environment. They created that by their sincerity, by focusing on the higher principle of this is the this is the essence of yoga. Yoga means union. Union of the body, the mind, with the soul, but also inseparably union of ourselves with other living beings and with God and with nature. <coughs> so when they were singing with that intensity, Lord Chaitanya, Lord Nityananda, and all those associates, Rupa Goswami, Sanatan Goswami, Swarup Damara Goswami, Ramananda Rai, Marari Gupta, Haridas Thakur, Shivas Thakur, Gadadhar Pandit, Pudimanta Khan, uh, Raghunath Bhatta Goswami, and hundreds and hundreds of others, they just appeared, smiling, and danced with all the others. It was so nice. It was incredible. <laughs> but Krishna tells, Tatra tishtami narada yatra gayanti madbhakta, where my devotees are singing together with this one heart and one voice, I am there. You can go to holy places in India, you could go to holy places in the Middle East, you can go to holy places in America, but that the Lord reveals himself most wherever we are, in the East Village of New York City, or with a common higher purpose, we come together to uplift each other by speaking, by hearing, by chanting, by dancing. And that's where the greatest purification of the heart and the greatest joy can be discovered. So everyone was beyond happiness. Can you imagine, even in this 
worldly context, people that we love that have departed from this world, for them to be with us again, what would be your joy? And these are saintly peoples and avatars of God and God himself that appeared with them. It was just incredible. They were dancing and singing with such joy, with such ananda, ecstasy. And Janavi Devi, she was seeing it all and tears were pouring from her eyes because she was seeing such happiness. There's a beautiful verse in the Vedas. In fact, my beloved teacher, Srila Prabhupada, he said, this verse is the purpose of all Vedic literature and culture. Let all beings be happy. Very simple. That's the essence of the Bible. That's the essence of the Holy Quran. That's the essence of all Bhagavad Gita, Srimad Bhagavatam. That's the essence of all knowledge of all scriptures. The Buddha Sutras, let all beings be happy. But real happiness, happiness that doesn't end in suffering, happiness that expands forever. That's the awakening of the soul. That's the connection with the all-beautiful supreme being, the personality of Godhead. So they were all dancing and singing, and Janavi Devi was just watching and crying in happiness to see all of her children in such an enlightened state. And then something happened. Listen carefully. Please. Lord Chaitanya embraced Srinivasacharya and Narottam Das Thakur and spoke something to them. Very confidential subject that nobody knows. After he spoke, <laughs> he disappeared. And all his associates disappeared. Everybody that appeared disappeared. And now all the devotees are just looking around. Where is Lord Chaitanya? Some of them were crying out, where is Lord Nityananda? Where is Gadadhar? I was just dancing with Marari Gupta. Where is he? I, I, I was dancing with Haridas Thakur. Where is he? And uh, Rupa Goswami was embracing me. Where is he? And they were just running in all directions looking. and as much happiness as there was when they appeared, now there was great anguish because they disappeared. What are we gonna do about this? It was Janava Devi. She knew what to do. She called Srinivasacharya and Narottam and Shamananda and said, let us play holy. <laughs> and uh, with, her, with her appeal and her direction, they got 
beautiful um, powders that were scented, natural organic colors, very bright, and they brought them to Janavi Devi. And she went on the altar and she offered them to Lord Chaitanya, Radha Murlidhar, all the deities. And then she just sprinkled some and then she gave it to the other devotees and they gently offered on the altar to Lord Chaitanya, to Goranga and Krishna and Radha. And then they began, out of love and respect, they began to sprinkle it on each other. And they were just so happy. They were like little children. These were saints. These were scholars. They were just dancing and singing and just tossing powder on each other. <laughs> now in India, when they play this holy... It's like the Mahabharata. <laughs> really. You know, people don't go to their, they don't go out of their house on holy. Because, you know, if they, you try to go to your car and people will just come and throw it in your eyes and in your face and destroy all your, and they have all kinds of chemicals in the powders. We've seen it. And I remember one time I, at Radhagopinath Temple, I said, we're going to have holy in the temple. And the leaders of the temple said, ooh, no, no. <laughs> I said, no, no, in Brindavan, it's very sweet. And I explained this story from, that I'm telling you today, how they just take those powders and they, hate. <laughs> <laughs> then the other person goes, Chayradit. And they both smile and embrace, Chayradit. And that's the way it's supposed to be done. So, you know, I, I remember Shamananda Prabhu, one of our devotees, he said, this will be the litmus test of how cooperative our temple really is. So I, I was confident. <laughs> I set the mood. And it was so nice. You know, you go like, and they were just like that with each other and smiling and it was such love. It's the way of expressing love from the heart. But something happened. <laughs> About 15 minutes later, it was, it was Kurukshetra was like, it was a war zone. Anyways, it, it took us about six days to clean the town. <laughs> and we've never done it again. <laughs> but 
But anyways, Janava Devi, she was there, so everyone was so, and everyone was happy, and so happy, and they had kirtan for the rest of the night, and the next morning she cooked such wonderful, wonderful prasad, sacred food, with her own hands, she cooked it, she personally served it. And there are many stories. From there she decided to go to Brindavan. As far as we know, it was her only journey to Brindavan in her life one time. And on the way, there were so many wonderful stories. She had a group of people with her. And she was just showing compassion to everyone. They came to one village, and there was some dacoits, robbers, murderers. They saw her, surrounded by others. And they were thinking, the only reason she is being followed by these other people is because she must have a lot of money. She must have jewels. So they decided, tonight, we are going to kill her and steal everything she has. And they were not just like regular people. They were trained killers, very powerful men. There was a whole gang of them. And they plotted everything perfectly. When it got, they had a spy who was among the devotees. And he was, he was sending messages. They're having kirtan. Messages coming back, you know. People have to come with little notes. They're still having kirtan. Going back again. Still having kirtan. <laughs> they're getting really anxious. But as they're getting anxious, they're getting more greedy. The greed is just boiling in their hearts. Then they get the message. They all went to sleep. Now it's dark. So the leader of the gang, this very ruthless person, he said, follow me. And they started running as fast as they could. They were in a place where they could see them. They were only like a few hundred meters away, hiding in some forest. They started running. They were running as fast as they could to just catch them by surprise, kill them all, and take everything they had. They had their weapons in their hands. They were running, running, and running, and they kept running and running, and they kept seeing right in front of them in the dark, these shadows of, there she is, right there. And they kept running. They ran all night. <laughs> 
and they kept running as fast as they could. For like eight hours they ran. And then the sun rose and they were still running. And they were totally exhausted. And they looked around. They were in the exact same place they started from the night before. So the gang member, who was the leader, he stopped to think about what's happening. He was thinking that this Janavi Devi must be a very special person. Because <laughs> I know what I'm doing. I was running in that direction. And he thought, I'm so bad. I'm so cruel. What is going to be my destiny? It's the first time he ever really thought about it. And then he told everybody else in his gang, I'm never going to be a crook. I'm never going to rob anyone. I'm never going to hurt anybody ever again in my life. I'm going to go to this woman here, and I'm going to surrender my life to whatever she tells me to do. And he said, and I advise you to do the same thing. Otherwise, I don't know what our destiny is going to be. So the next morning, they took their baths, they took off their, because they were wearing like, you see it in New York, they were like wearing their gang clothes. <laughs> <laughs> and they took it all off and kind of, stand up, please. <laughs> They kind of dressed like this. <laughs> and they all went to Janavi Devi, and she just welcomed them with so much love and affection. She knew exactly everything that was happening. She said, they said, we want to take shelter. She said, I give you full shelter. Please, just love, love God, love Krishna, love each other. And from that day on, they spent the rest of their lives as instruments of such compassion and love to everyone in society. And especially other crooks like they used to be, because they had very um, bad reputation for us, but for other thieves, they had a really good reputation, because <laughs> they were the best. When they'd come and say, you don't want to do this anymore, you should be like us. Everyone became pure-hearted, compassionate saints. The power of one person's forgiveness transformed tens and thousands of people's, hundreds and thousands of people's lives. Well, this is the spirit that she taught us. How to be forgiving, how to be compassionate, and how to be united on this higher principle of community.
care about each other, to be a well-wisher for each other, to uplift each other. And yes, inevitably there's so many people in this world that we really can't touch in this way. But if we can find a community where we can do, there are so many people in this world who really are seeking that inner treasure. And if we can, even in a small way, give this opportunity through an example of loving service to God, to each other, and to the world, then there can be great healing rainstorms of grace and happiness. Thank you very much. <laughs>